1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media Thanks to the generosity of our supporters Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily Please make your donation today at vision.org.au
0: Women are usually more intuitive than men, right? And what surprised me, even they don't get it They're still not saying, wow, it's a resurrection Let's go and find Jesus
1: Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff speaks to us about the significance of events that occurred after the cross, involving Jesus and His followers.
0: Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. I I find that humorous. Yes, we are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified because He's dead. We've come looking for the dead guy. This is Today with Jeff Vines. All right, Mark chapter 15, verse 40. Mark 15, verse 40. We'll get to that momentarily. Got to ask you a couple more questions, just to kind of set the stage. Here's what the first question is. How many of you, when you hear about a novel that you should read, uh, grab the novel, and then you read the ending first, and then you go and read the rest of it? Anybody in the room? Anybody? Wow. Raise them up high again. Not very many. I just want to tell you that you're in good company because I'm the same way. I'm, I'm, I understand you. I feel you, okay? I understand. Uh, how many of you, if you record something, if you TiVo something, like a sporting event, that you go home and you want to know who won, you go to the end first, and then you watch it to enjoy it? Anybody? Anybody? A couple? A couple? Yeah. Uh, so, you, know, you realize 99% of the people right now are looking at me like, you 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 You're not fun. You're, <laughs> What is wrong with the anticipation anxiety? See, that's the point. I'm getting older now. I don't need anxiety. So for me, for me, I like to know who won. So I don't come around saying, don't tell me who won. Don't tell me. Major sporting event, tell me who won. And if it's one of my favorite players, then I can go and really enjoy it. Plus, no anxiety. Because during the game, if he blows a certain play or doesn't do something well, I know. It's okay. Because in the end, he's going to (laughs) win. You see what I'm saying? There's an advantage to that. So when I, come on. Is nobody, I mean, I only had like five people raise their hands. I mean, come on, surely. I mean, it's easier that way. Think about, think about the advantages. I'm going to hammer this just a second. Think about, if you know who's going to win, you don't get stressed, no anxiety, right? You just kind of enjoy it. And if I'm really pulling against somebody, like I really don't want them to win, and then I find out they don't win, it's even more fun because I can see how they destroyed themselves (laughs) without being afraid that they're going to recover and win. You see, you're not like, all right, okay, I got you. Okay, if you want to play that way, all right. What if I told you I could take you into a room and show you the end of your life? How many would want to see? You're going to find out the day, the month, the year, the end of your life. Anybody? A few people, yeah, but still, there's a little more than watch video. But uh, what if you went into the room and you found out you're you're not going to die to your 100? Wouldn't you want to find that out? I mean, isn't that going to change the way you live when you're 50 and you're in danger? You know you're not going to die. You're not going to die till you're 100. Are, aren't you going to have less anxiety? Are you, not, are you tracking with me? You're going to have less anxiety. You're not going to worry. When you're in a deep point of despair, hey, I'll get out of this. I don't know how long, but I'll get out. of it. I'm, I'm not going to die till I'm 100. Now, you're not going to go out and run in front of cars or anything. But, and, and granted, year 99 will be tough. <laughs> I can see that. But for the most part, man, if you know the end, it it, it changes everything. Now, here's what I wanted to try to say to you. The whole purpose, and we're finishing up our series, Remarkable, in the book of Mark, the whole purpose of the Bible, especially the Gospels and the book of Revelation, the whole purpose is to show you how it all ends. It's to let you fast forward so that you know that in the end, you're going to win. And it's supposed to change the way that you live your life because you know The deepest longings of your heart are going to become a reality. Everything for which you have longed for is yours. And whatever you lost will be replaced to an infinitely greater degree. You you see, the purpose of the Bible is so that you can fast forward, that you can go to the end of the chapter, if you're on DVD, and you can discover this is how it's going to end. And because it ends this way, everything changes. Now, there are only two questions left to ask in the series. One, what happened to Jesus after the cross? What happens next? Now, I've realized that a lot of people assume that they know what happened after the cross because a lot of people read more books about the Bible than the Bible itself. So when it comes to the Bible, they have some rude awakenings on what actually happened. So we go to the objective source of the book of Mark and find out what happened after the cross. Second question is equally important, and it's this. Who cares? Why does it matter what happened? So we're going to answer both of those. Are you ready? I can tell already you're looking a little tired. I'm going to have to talk really fast and keep you excited. (laughs) So here we go. We're in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. According to the Bible, there were some women who were watching the crucifixion from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Talking about Jesus. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. All right, now look up. It's a fascinating story. Joseph is a prominent leader of the religious order. He's been watching all of these things develop. He was there at the trial. He was there at the crucifixion. He's been watching the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's part of the establishment responsible for crucifying Jesus. So he kind of sat in the background as all this happened and didn't say much, but he has an affinity with Christ. He's kind of like a secret follower. He knows that there's something special, something different, something unique about Jesus, but he doesn't stand up for Jesus at the trial. Now, just let me say something before I go on. The world is filled with hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of secret followers of Jesus. They see Jesus as kind of like a novelty, an interesting guy, intriguing. They get a little spiritual buzz when they read the Bible or go to church twice a year on Christmas and Easter. And they kind of look at Jesus like, wow, he's exciting, man. He's motivating. I feel all good inside. But when it comes to something like baptism, where I'm going to die to my old way and be resurrected to a new way of life, when it comes to allowing Christ to define the parameters of your life and how you live, when it comes to changing the trajectory of my life from the world up toward Christ, where my passions and objectives goals and the morality of my life change so that I don't get sucked into the vortex of the world that I'm moving toward Christ? No way. That's too much. They call that radicalism. Jesus calls that a fully devoted follower. Now I bring that up because God is calling somebody's cell phone. <laughs> and the second reason I bring it up is because I talked to a friend of mine this past week. And there's a friend... I said, Hey, how, how's your family? He has four children. He said, Oh, my family's fine. I said, well, are your children following Jesus? Oh yeah. Yeah. They, you know, my children love Jesus. And then we, we talked for a while and it dawned on me that his definition of loving Jesus was not the same thing as Jesus definition of loving Jesus. Cause as we talked, he told me about how, well, you know, they do love Jesus, but they kind of do their own thing. You know, they use their body the way they want to use their body. They don't really draw any parameters around their lives. You know, it's kind of you know, cramps their style, some of the morality of Jesus. And we kept talking. I thought, wow, well, this is very different from what I'm used to hearing because I just want to remind you, Jesus was pretty clear. He said, if you love me, you'll do what? You will keep my commandments. Now, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean you use the commandments of Christ to earn salvation. It just means that the motivation of your heart is to do what Christ asks you to do. So there's no such thing really as a secret follower, Either, either in or you're out. Joseph was from the town of Arimathea, and the Bible says he's waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Now, he's not talking about the kingdom of God in the same language that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. He's still thinking literal kingdom on the earth. He's still thinking the Messiah will come and restore the nation of Israel to prominence, that they will overthrow the power of the Roman Empire and take its position and its place. So the Bible tells us that this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, who interestingly enough, would have a deep knowledge of the Old Testament prophecies. He'd be well-educated in Old Testament knowledge. And so he's watching, now stay with me, he's watching Jesus. He's watching Jesus' life. And he thinks, man, this guy is fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. This guy's the one. This guy's the Messiah. And then it all comes crashing down when he sees Jesus get crucified. Because in his mind, there's no way you can harmonize Israel's or the Jewish Messiah with death. But he's not the only one, is he? Now, the disciples are the same way. Not one single disciple expected a resurrection. After Jesus died, they all went home. No expectation whatsoever of anything more. Jesus is D-E-A-D, dead, and the party's over. Now, as you think about it, there are people who study literary works of antiquity. That's old books, old writings. And because of this one fact right here, it causes a lot of people to believe that the Bible is not legend, but is actually historical fact. Because if it were legend, when the authors write legend, they make themselves look really, really good, really, really smart, really, really wise and courageous. But when the disciples write the gospels, they make themselves look pretty silly because they have to tell the truth. So they're hiding and they're cowardly, even though Jesus told them that he was gonna rise again on the third day. They're still terrified of the Roman Empire, of the Roman authorities. They're hiding out in a cave, afraid for their lives. Even though Jesus told them numerous times, that I would rise again on the third day. They still don't get it. Now, you think about this. Now, stay with me here. I want to get this off my chest. A better, there'd be a better story. If this was legend, it'd be a better story. There's a better way to write it, right? I mean, I would have the disciples surround the tomb, television cameras everywhere. I would invite all the local towns around. We'd all gather around the stone, right? And we'd start a countdown, kind of like they do on New Year's Eve. And there'd be music, and we'd be singing and dancing. And the disciples will be saying, watch this, guys. He told us this numerous times. We heard him. The resurrection's about to occur. We know it and we believe we're men of great faith. Watch this. And then they go, 10, 9, 8, and the earth begins to quake. You know, 7, 6, and the Roman authorities run away. The soldiers are afraid for their lives and they run away. You know, 5, 4, and the stone starts to rattle where it's been sealed. You know, 3, 2, and the stone is removed. And 1, out bobs Jesus. And there's somebody in the crowd with a John three sixteen sign. And somebody yells over the hill, "Do the man!" You see? Now that if I were going to write legend, I would write it much more dramatic than do the disciples. But instead, what we find in the book of Mark is no church, no Christianity, just another self-proclaimed Messiah, great teacher, pulled off miracles. We don't know how he did it. Intriguing, but he's D E A D, dead. Game is over.
1: Thanks for joining us on today with Jeff Vines. His message is called "After the Cross." Let's continue now with Pastor
0: Jeff. Now, Joseph still had great respect for Jesus. So according, I'm in Mark 15, verse 43, he went boldly and asked for Jesus' body. So he obviously has some clout. He's a respected leader, probably a liaison between the Romans and the Jews. And now I'm in verse 46, so Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now, why does Mark tell us that the women were there and saw where Jesus was laid? Now, to understand that, let's talk about burial for for a few moments in first century culture. Four basic steps. Step one, wash the body. Jesus would have experienced a scourging and a crucifixion. His body is going to be bloody and there's gonna be guts and gore. So you wash and clean the body, step one. Step two, you anoint the body with fragrances. Step three, you wrap the body in a cloth that had been saturated in, uh, in nice smelling oils. And so the body would cease to stink. And then step four, you place the body in the tomb. But there's a problem. Jesus' death was extremely inconvenient because he died next to Passover. So they had to do all four steps, which are virtually going to be impossible, before the sun goes down and the Sabbath begins. So you know where I'm going with this, right? Right? This is a bunch of men that have Jesus' body. Now, in their defense, they were in a hurry. But because they were in a hurry, they just cover him up with some white cloth, place him in the tomb, get back to the festivities. And of course, the women were told by Matthew and Mark, see this. And you know, they're like, girls, this just ain't right. (laughs) And so the Bible tells us though, in Mark 15, 42, that it was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. Now, quickly, what's preparation day? Well, Anything you need to get done, you got to do it before the sun goes down and Sabbath occurs. You got to pay your taxes or get some groceries or fill up the car with gas, whatever it is, you got to get it done before the sun goes down. Even if you're burying somebody, same thing holds true. So they have to bury Jesus before the sun goes down and the Sabbath officially begins. Now, let me borrow from Luke chapter 23, verse 55. In Luke's account, he says, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how the body was laid in it. So again, they're saying, girls, this ain't right, man. Granted, Jesus was not who we hoped he would be. I mean, he's obviously not the Messiah because he's dead. But he was a good man, a miracle worker, and everybody, after all, deserves a decent burial. Now, just quickly, let me explain to you how the tomb worked. It was above the ground. Okay, so you've got a cave, and there's a platform on which Jesus' body would be laid. The women want to come and anoint his body with oils and spices, There was a huge rock cut out of the stone, weighed, it was very, very heavy, looked like a big wagon wheel. There was a trench a little higher uh, than the opening of the cave, and it was wedged against the rocks. You'd remove the wedge, and then it would be covering the hole, and then it would be sealed. Now, according to Matthew chapter 27, verse 65, in Jesus' case, there were Roman soldiers stationed outside the tomb at the Jewish request, because they were afraid that the disciples would steal the body and claim a resurrection. But by placing the guards outside the tomb of Jesus, it ensured that nobody would mess with the body because the Roman guards would pay with their lives if anything happened to Jesus' body. They'd be killed. Now, I don't have a lot of time to develop this, but I will tell you this. Folks, some of the information I'm giving you is not just found in the scripture. It's corroborated by outside historical resources like the historian Josephus and even the Roman historian Tacitus talk about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So it is a historical reality. It is a historical reality that he was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. It is a historical reality that there were guards placed on the outside. You don't need the Bible for that. You can find that in outside resources that corroborate the account of scripture. Now, the women go home, but they can't do anything because it's Sabbath now. So they gotta just wait all night long, saddened by the Messiah's death, And waiting to go back to the tomb and do it right and do it well. So now I'm in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, that is, as soon as the sun came up, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam, bought spices so that they might go to the tomb and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, a pretty important question, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, two issues here. First, notice it's the first day of the week. If you wondered why the church meets on Sunday and not Saturday, because even by 70 AD, the church started meeting on the first day of the week because that's the day in which the Lord resurrected. And that became the day that the Christians would come together and worship. Now, second thing is, do you notice the question they ask? Who will roll the stone away? It's a pretty important question. So we've got some women here that are pretty excited and they want to do the right thing, give Jesus a proper burial, but they all must be sanguines, extroverts. Because nobody stopped to think of how they're going to unseal the tomb and roll the stone away when they get there. So on the way to do the deed, one says to the other, wait a minute, how are we going to get in? The Roman guards are there. How are we going to get inside the tomb? And then chapter 16, verse 4 says, when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Now, what's interesting in the original text, folks, It's not the Greek word that means the stone was just rolled back up and wedged into place. It's the the word for picked up and thrown down. So the stone was just literally a heavy stone picked up and just thrown out into the woods. Now, Luke tells us that the women sat there wondering, who could do such a thing? Now, what's interesting, women are usually more intuitive than men, right? And what surprised me, even they don't get it. They're still not saying, wow, it's a resurrection. Let's go and find Jesus. Instead, I'm in verse five now. They entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. Now stop right there. <laughs> I, I find that humorous. Well, yes, we are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified because he's dead. He's D-E-A-D, dead. We saw him die. And usually uh, when somebody dies, you expect him to stay that way. And we know that he was buried here. So yeah, we've come looking for the dead guy. What's wrong with that? But then the angel says, well, here's what's wrong. Verse six, second part of it. He has risen. He's not here. And then I'd imagine it. He says, see the place where they laid him. So he's like kind of Vanna White. See, here's the place. (laughs) Here's the place they laid him. He's not here. You see, But go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. In other words, ladies, the reason it appears that somebody picked the stone up and threw it away is because somebody picked the stone up and threw it away. And the reason it appears that nobody's here is because nobody's here. See the place? Nobody's here. He's gone. I love that. Now look at this next line because it's beautiful. Let me get a little bit more serious here. Verse seven, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. Why does he say go tell Peter and the disciples? Why not just say go tell the disciples? Peter's a disciple, he's the leader. Why not just say go tell the disciples? Why include Peter's name separately? This is perhaps one of the most important things and aspects about our faith. Rather than thinking of all the wrong that Peter had done, Jesus was more concerned with the remorse Peter was probably having over his failure. Jesus was more eager to comfort the penitent sinner than to punish the sin. Did you hear that? He was more eager to comfort the penitent sinner than to punish the sin. Rather than blast you with judgment, Jesus is much more interested in comforting you in your repentance. Now, look up, everybody, please, please. If you never get this, the joy... That Christ brings will never be yours. I know that we all come in with issues. We could all be wearing a badge. I've got issues because we all do every single one of you. How do you think I know that? Because I have mine. The problem is when you come in here, you forget your identity. Sometimes the Bible says you've been taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. If you gave your life to Jesus, that means your identity now is a, is a son or a daughter of the living God. And he is your father. I know some of you are still fighting your addictions like alcoholism, I know that. Some of you are still fighting the addiction to pornography or to drugs or to some habit in your life that's destroying you. I know that, but I want you to hear me. That's not who you are. That's not your identity. You're not an alcoholic. You're not a drug addict. You're a child of the living God who struggles with those issues. But your real identity is you're a Christian. You're saved by the grace of God. Your identity doesn't change. Okay, I know you're fighting and struggling with this. But the beauty about the resurrection is because of the resurrection, the apostle Paul says the same power that caused Jesus to rise from the dead is the same power in you to overcome. But when you do blow it, God's not bringing down the big hammer on you wanting to destroy you. He's much more interested in comforting you in your repentance and your guilt in heaven's name, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Jesus has. And if he can, surely you can. And remember your identity never changes after you give your life to Jesus. You are a son and daughter of God. So in heaven's name, knock it off and get back up on the horse again tomorrow and ride again. And if you fail again tomorrow, Just remember, your identity never changes. You're a son and daughter of the living God and nobody's ever going to change that.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines and we're halfway through the message after the cross. Hope you can join us next time to hear the second half. To hear more right now, you can head to the Vision Christian store, that's visionstore.org.au, and click on Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.